very sobering thing, huh? I mean, as we pray for something like that, you know, I mean, we pray for sickness, we pray for, you know, uh, God's protection in times of war and all, and it's just sobering stuff, you know, but it's uh, real life. It's life as we know it in a fallen world, and, and we just want to, to seek the Lord for his hand of involvement in all these things. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 23 today, beginning in verse 12, and we're going to be going through verse 35 today. That's through the rest of chapter 23. So we're going to be reading those verses, 12 to 35, and uh, it's a very straightforward commentary, but we've got some things to share that I think are going to be a blessing to all of you as, as, you, as you receive God's word this morning. But just follow along, please, as I read. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. Acts 23, beginning in verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we've killed Paul. Now, they felt safe going to them to say that because they wanted to get rid of Paul as well. So, so they shared this with them, of course. Now, you therefore together with the council suggest to the commander that he be brought, that Paul be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. In other words, ambush them. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to, to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you've revealed these things to me. And he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. Now, that's not quite true there, is it? And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. 
And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him to immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. That's about halfway between um, uh, Jerusalem and Caesarea. The next day they left, they left the horsemen to go on with them and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from, and when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come, and he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. And Father, we pray that you speak to our hearts today. Lord, that you would cause us to see, Lord, even in the way that you sovereignly intervened to protect the Apostle Paul. Lord, that you do the same with us as our God. Lord, have your way in our hearts. Be glorified and honored in this time. We love you, Lord. Do your work now, Lord. Give us an understanding by your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, who gives us understanding. Give us wisdom and discernment as well to lead us in how we are to think, how we are to respond to these things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So last time as we were looking at this 23rd chapter, of course, we, we ended with verse 11 as Paul, in this whole process from the 21st chapter all the way through this time, he'd been taken into custody. Uh, it was his part to go to Rome. He wanted to share the gospel in Rome, even as he had had the privilege and opportunity to do so uh, throughout the, the known world at that time, really. And we, we saw him encouraged by the Lord Jesus in this 11th verse as we read that verse again. But the following night, we, uh, the Lord stood by him, stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And one of the things I think that we need to understand about that as well as we um, introduce these thoughts here this morning is that it, it is more than Paul gaining a sense of safety in knowing that God is going to preserve him and take him to Rome, send him to Rome. Not just simply that he's going to be, be surviving all this, this trial and the, the arrest and, and the mobs beating him, wanting to kill him as they did several days before, and all the things that are involved in this. You know, it, it, it's more than that. It has to do also with his ministry. He, he wanted to serve his God. He wanted to complete the ministry that God had given to him. He wanted to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he wanted to do that in Rome, of course, and so God was saying, not only are you going to live through this, not only am I going to be with you that you survive physically, but your ministry is going to continue and you will indeed preach the gospel in Rome as, as it is your heart's desire to do. So th th that's, that's a huge part of this encouragement 
that he receives from the Lord Jesus. What we see here as, I mean, I mean this is a very straightforward account of, of what took place, you know, and, and the way that God just intervened with this, um, we have no idea about um, how it is that Paul's nephew, who's described as a young man, and, and that could mean a number of things. It could be from teenager through the age of 30. We don't really know how old he was. But um, in, in reading this, we see that the commander takes him by the hand and goes aside and, and speaks to him. You know, I, I, I doubt if he was a 30-year-old man. He was probably a, a teenager. We really don't know, though. I mean, there's, there's not a description uh, of that. But as the Lord made sure that there was somebody there to hear the plan, uh, this is an evil plot, you know, and you, you know, th there's always talk about conspiracy theorists, right? You know, and uh, many times conspiracy theorists are uh, a kind of, um, you know, not listened to because they're called as conspiracy theorists, and you go, you know, they're they're just paranoid. This kind, of we we get that sense from some people, but you know, I mean, there are conspiracies that take place. You know, and certainly in regard to a situation like this, in terms of government, in terms of uh, uh, important issues, there are conspiracies so that groups of people can accomplish things that they want to accomplish. You know, th that, that, that's, that's just true. There are evil plots that are hatched to kill people, as we see here. You know, and that's one of the things that's so, so amazing about the Bible is it includes all that stuff, all those ugly things that develop in the hearts of men. You know, it, it, it includes those things. And this is the same here. But we see God's protecting hand. And again, uh, the, his, his nephew being in a place where he heard this plot being revealed to the chief priests and, and, and elders and all. Um, was he one of the people who were involved in in, in, in the court there? I mean, w was he serving somebody there? Or we, we don't know. We really don't know what was going on. But he was there. And he went to tell his Uncle Paul. I wonder if he, still call, if he called him Uncle Paul, if it was Uncle Saul or what. Anyway, he went to him to let him know. Paul let the authorities know. Uh, this, this, this young man shared with the commander, who, by the way, as he writes in that letter, when I, when I comment, I go, well, that's not quite how it happened. In the letter, he says, having learned that he was a Roman, we rescued him. No, they didn't learn until after they rescued him. So he's kind of covering himself a little bit with that. But point being, he did rescue him. And, 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 and as all this took place, we see, again, God's, God's hand in watching over Paul that he would accomplish all that he would in his life. And, you know, guys, it's the same in our lives today. You know, we, we may go through, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced a situation in which you know that God had watched over you and protected you from some kind of harm. You know, that, that, his, that one of his ministering angels was there to protect you. You know, um, I had an experience like that, and it's going to sound funny, but it was very real, at least it was for me. 
I've shared this with you before. Years ago, um, gosh, I don't know. It, it's been a long time because we were celebrating uh, my, my grandson Josiah's birthday. I think he was five years old at the time. He's 28 now, so 23 years ago. Uh, it was on a Sunday. It was after church uh, at one of the parks in Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, and I got there early after church, and I was just standing. It was, a, it, it was in February. Uh, it was kind of a cool, windy day. And people were out flying those kites, and th- those big kites, you know, the, the, the ones that, that, well, anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about. It wasn't one of those little ones that with the small strings. One of those big ones. And, and, all, and, and, and it was really windy, and... and, and the person didn't have a lot of control over it. But as I was standing there, all of a sudden, I get hit. It's like, whoo! This kite came right down and captured me. I mean, the front of the kite went right here, knocked my glasses off. The, the bow in the back was behind me. It went straight down. A- and I was startled. Then I got angry, thinking, this thing could have hurt. I was not hurt. Not at all. But at the point of that kite, instead of coming this way, right in front of my face, if it had been like three inches back and hit me right on top of the head, that could have been serious. That could have been serious. I mean, and thank you, Lord. You watched over me. You protected me. And it's like, I'll be ministering next week. And I'll continue to do so. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, I got saved from a kite, you know. But... Uh, <laughs> Like I said, it sounds funny, but that was that was very real. Be, I mean, that thing came down quick. It could have it could have hurt me bad if it had hit me right on top of it. The Lord preserved me, so here I am. But um, we we go through things like that, and and the, and the Lord is just showing us. See, I've got you. See, I've got you. And whatever the experience may be. It could be an auto accident, a near auto accident, some other kind of a thing, whatever it might be, Ca- uh, kite accident, whatever. But, um, yeah, and, and the Lord shows us that he's got us. He, he watches over those who are his. And he does have his ministering angels ministering to us. And taking guard, watching, watching guard over us to protect us so that we are protected that God's will would be done. But also we see the reality of the way that he, he sovereignly works in situations. He, he, he intervenes. He's got this witness there, Paul's nephew. And he's able, basically, through informing his uncle, Basically, to save his uncle's life. Now, now these men, these 40 men, had taken an oath that they would not eat nor drink until they killed Paul. They obviously never did. I wonder if all 40 of them starved to death. <laughs> Makes you wonder, huh? Not likely, because once it becomes clear, I mean, I think it's part of the oath process with, with, with what they would do. If it, once it became clear that it was impossible to do it, they would be cleared of having to... to to uh, fulfill the oath and so so forth, but but we see the serious nature of this, you know, and and and, and they would do this, and and we see that the leadership of, of of the Jewish faith were a part of this, in terms of hearing this oath that was taken. 
you guys have heard me share my, my testimony a, 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 a number of times. You know, how I got saved in Lake Tahoe. I'd gone out to gamble and drink and stuff like that. You know, and then God intervened and, and spoke to me while I was in that tent. You know, and I gave my heart to the Lord that, that night um, while there in Lake Tahoe in the tent ground in a tent. But I really do believe by the very nature of the reason that we went there, I believe that God in saving me was delivering me from a life in which I, could be, I, I would have become addicted to gambling. I really enjoyed that. And I, I felt like I could not only have some fun, but make some money. You know, and I didn't there. The Lord intervened, saved me from that. And, and I'm, I'm even today, you know, I, I, I might be listening to the radio or, or watching a, a, a sports program, a football game, and all these online betting things, you know, uh, uh, sports betting and all this, you know, and sometimes I go, hmm, you know, I mean, you know how the temptations come? I know the Lord, you protected me from that, you delivered me from that, thank you, you know, and then you just move on. But the evil plot of the enemy against us. And we don't really need to see that there are people who are plotting against us, even though that may take place. One of our enemies, somebody that doesn't like us, wants us to see some, maybe not physical harm come to us, but at least see us not succeed in something or something. You know, I mean, those things do take place, of course, but there is an evil plot against us because, well, you and I are hated. We're hated. Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Guys, let's never forget that. By calling ourselves Christians, we are aligning ourselves with the one that this world hates, and so the world is going to hate us as well. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that all people in the world are going to hate us, but the world system will hate us, and they will. those who don't know the Lord Jesus can easily be inspired by the one who hates us to bring some evil against us. Even if it's merely by them pursuing their own heart, their own dreams, their own goals, whatever it may be, but if we get hurt in the process, it doesn't matter. But our enemy has in mind that we get hurt. Right? Spiritual warfare, right? You guys believe in spiritual warfare? You guys believe that, that Satan and his de demons hate you? They do. But greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world, right? Well, let's always remember that. Let's always remember that. There is a power in deception. We see in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, the Apostle Paul writing, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They didn't receive the love of the truth, the love that comes with truth 
or the love for the truth. That works either way, and I think both, actually. And, and so there are those who will not be saved because they really don't care about truth. And so there's a deception that takes place in regard to that. And there is a, an ability of the demonic realm to blind us to truth as well. We see Paul writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. We've got a lot working against us. Now, we ought not to focus on that, but we need to be aware. We need to focus on the one who's for us. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, it doesn't mean, that verse does not mean, and we're going to be looking at that a little bit later out of Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite passages, but, but we, it doesn't mean that there are no people against us or that there's nothing that is against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? What it means is those who are against us cannot bring to us any lasting harm. Any lasting harm. We can be affected by it. It can be painful, but it can't destroy us. Cannot, cannot destroy us. Not only are these things true in regard to the, uh, the power of deception, the reality of the hatred of the world for us, the reality of the demonic realm to, to blind us, but also there is a natural unwillingness to believe. Jesus speaks on that in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38. This is after, in that 23rd chapter, you, you will recall that that chapter is the, the, the chapter in which Jesus is pronouncing the seven woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. In fact, uh, 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 and, and as he does so, uh, he, he just basically lambasts them because of their hypocrisy. Religious leaders, Jewish leaders, and their hypocrisy. Well, Jesus says in verse 37 and 38, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. By whom? By their father. By God the Father. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. I think there's a very important point here in that Jesus lets us know that a human heart that is not willing to allow God to minister to him will prevent God from ministering to him. You see that here? How many times I wanted, Jesus said, and we, and we see that Jesus, as the Son of God, that he didn't just simply begin to exist when he was implanted into the womb of his mother Mary. How many times I wanted to take you under my wings to protect you like a hen protects her chicks, but you were not willing. You were continually rebellious 
time and time and time again. You weren't willing to listen to me. And so we have all those aspects of our own heart, the hearts of people who do not believe in particular. Now the Lord, in his mercy, in his grace, in his sovereignty, he softened our hearts so that we would receive. We have received. But there is a plot there. And, and one of the things that does take place is our enemy uses the evil hearts of men and women to accomplish his purposes. And there are times when God does exactly the same thing. The purposes being different, the, the purposes of the enemy to bring destruction, the purpose of God to bring life and to bring us to a place of worshiping God. But we see that taking place in this stage of life. On this stage of life, I should say. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. You guys know these verses. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And then the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Any person who believes that they've got a good heart, well, I, God knows my heart. You know, I, I have good intentions. I'm, I'm, I'm good, you know. It's like, be careful. Yes, God does know your heart. And right here, he tells us what your heart and my heart, what our hearts are like. Desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And I, and I continue to make this point, but, but uh, I mean, from, from time to time as I share with you guys, but you know, when, when, when God tells me through the prophet Jeremiah that my heart is deceitful above all things, you know, I, I, I come to the understanding and realization that I am able to deceive myself. I am more able to deceive myself than Satan himself, who is called the great deceiver. My heart is deceitful above all things, even more than Satan himself. That's scary. That's scary. This truth was brought to me many, many years ago as I was reading a book writ written by Jerry Bridges called The Pursuit of Holiness. He brought this out in that book. And he made the statement, and I came to agree with him in terms of my own heart. He said, I cannot trust myself. And I agree with that. I, I can't trust myself. I can't trust my own thinking because I will deceive myself into thinking that I don't need God. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Have you ever done some, committed some sin, did something that may have even surprised you, and you're kind of going, where did that come from? Your heart is the culprit. That's just who we are in our own sin nature, right? Oh, thank God that he's redeemed us. He has redeemed us and in the process of changing us 
Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 tells us the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's so many times that we act like Moses did when he had killed that Egyptian. Remember, he looked to the left and looked to the right and then whack, killed him. He didn't look up. He didn't look up. So many times we forget that God knows. He's watching. We act as if we, act as if we are getting away with something. And thinking that we're smart enough to hide our sin. We're not. We're not. I have learned in my years that I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I'm just not. I used to think I was pretty smart. I have found out since that, no, I'm not. But God knows. He is. So we place ourselves in his hands. In relation to the heart of those who have not come to, to Christ, um, there is a section of the prayer of A.W. Tozer. When he was ordained into the ministry, he, he prayed this prayer. A part of it reads this way as he's seeking the Lord. He, says, he said, Thou hast ordained me, thy messenger, to them that are, a, that are stubborn of heart and hard of hearing. They have rejected thee, the master, and it is not to be expected that they will receive me, the servant. When we speak truth, and it's not received, not a big surprise. Now, I have the blessing of being able to stand here with you guys who've come to faith. You know the Lord. You want to hear truth. You want to receive truth. And I'll speak truth and you'll nod your head. That's kind of cool. But when we go out there on the front lines, it's quite different. Here we're encouraged in our faith. And we're encouraged in our faith so that we can be strengthened to get out there where the battle lines are drawn. So I, I think that those are things that are important to us. But the plot was hatched. And just as this plot was hatched against Paul, it reminds us of the plot that was hatched against Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, it's not all that different. It's not all that different. You know, um, the Jewish leaders conspired with Judas Iscariot. There was a conspiracy. They were working together to bring harm, to bring destruction. On charges that were not true. They were willing to lie. They were willing to bring deception, to deceive, in order to accomplish their own purposes. Now, one thing that's interesting that is that in the case of Jesus, God did not thwart their plot because the death of Jesus was going to accomplish a much greater purpose. Amen? So he used evil men in their plotting and hatred against Jesus to execute him 
even as it was God's plan that he would lay the sins of the world upon him and he would deliver us from our sins. In Paul's case, in Paul's case, because God had further plan for ministry uh, uh, for Paul, he thwarted their plot because he wanted to continue to use him. Earlier, we saw in the in, in the twelfth chapter, where Peter and James were both taken into uh, custody, and James had been executed, and then. The, the Sabbath came, and Peter was rescued by an angel out of that uh, out of that prison cell. And we asked the question, why was Peter saved, but James not saved from that? I mean, the best answer to that is, well, we can't really know for sure. Other than it just seems apparent that God was through using James in this world. He was not through using Peter in this world. And what other conclusion can we come to, right? And so those are all things that are a part of this. And you know what? Romans 8.28 is true always. It is true not only as we read the scriptures and apply that truth to the situations that we find in the scriptures. We can we, we can see how in Christian history, maybe in, in, in things going on around us, we see that true, that, that all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. But it applies for you, too. And it applies for me, too. So the difficult things we go through in this life does not make this untrue. It's always true. All things work together for good. And those of us who have lost loved ones, still true. Somehow, it's still true. One of the things that I, I mean, just, I, I had shared uh, in uh, Downey, Calvary Chapel Downey on Thursday with a group of pastors about my recent experience with with uh, with Jeanette, last couple years and and all, and the Lord's faithfulness to me, the importance of His Word and all. I, I think it was a, an, an encouraging time. But you, you know, something that that I can't I can't forget. You know, it's like it's not about me. It's not. There is no incident that ever happens to us that's just simply about us. It's about everyone that's involved. And it's about everyone who's a part of our lives, everyone whose lives we touch or whose lives touch us. You know, first and foremost, what took place with my wife going to be with the Lord is that God was bringing to himself one of his dear children whom he had redeemed from sin. That's what it's about. It is about the mercy and grace of God toward us and, and, and the finality of us being taken from this life to be in his presence. And because people around us, as they are touched by God, as they are, as they are uh, um, molded by God, becoming more like him and loving people the way that God loves us, of course we miss them. We miss that love. As I, I, I've shared with you recently, I, I miss being loved by my wife. I miss that. 
And, and I, 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 I hate the fact that she's not with me, but I love the fact that she's with Jesus. That bit of sweetness, right? But, you know, I mean, that, that's all a part of it. You know, and, and we've got to step back and see the big picture. We've got to step back and see the big picture. And, and I'm thankful that the Lord has uh, allowed me to do that, has given me the means through the truth of his word to do that. But there are plots. And I think the enemy would want to use this to bring me to a place where I would deny God. I'll share with you guys, that ain't going to happen. I know, I believe what God has to say. But Satan is still going to throw his arrows at me. He's going to try to harm me. He's going to... He's going to try to take me down to even as he told he, as he told God in heaven in the first couple chapters of Job, all that story, you know, Satan said, you'll see that he will curse you to your face when you take your hand off the hammer. I think, I think that is Satan's stated objective in your life and mine to bring you to that place. And so, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Right? We're not ignorant of his devices. We know what he's up to. He came to seek and to kill and destroy. That's what he wants to do. The context there in 2 Corinthians 2 is how we might fail to forgive people around us. But we're, we're, we are aware, we are not ignorant of his devices. And persecution in this world is very real, we know that. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, that, that's just real. If we desire to live godly lives, persecution will come in some form or another. Pastor Chuck wrote this, the will of God often leads to a cross. Persecution is not a sign that you are out of God's will. It may well be a sign that you are directly in the center of it. But nothing can happen to you apart from what God allows. And if he allows it, then he has a good purpose for it. So all these things that have been happening to Paul, it applies there as well. Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, the verses that precede what I just read about living a godly life and suffering persecution. He wrote, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, persecution, uh, excuse me, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at, Ad, at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. God knows how to deliver his own. And do you belong to him? 
he knows how to deliver you. If you are his, he knows how to deliver you. And then later in that same letter, chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, Paul wrote to, to Timothy, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To, be wi- to, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so that truth, that reality. So this evil plot was discovered. We talked about that with uh, um, uh, Paul's nephew. The, the, the promise, the encouragement that God had given uh, to Paul uh, in that jail cell. That he must preach the gospel in Rome as well. F.F. Bruce writes this. One of Luke's prime motives in writing his twofold history, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, is to demonstrate that there is no substance in this charge of subversion brought not only against Paul, but against Christians in general. That competent and impartial judges had repeatedly confirmed the innocence of the Christian movement and the Christian missionaries in respect of Roman law. The Jews wanted Paul killed. The Romans were saying he hasn't done anything wrong. So God used the law to protect him. That's why he. That's why Paul was was right in appealing to Caesar, as he did. A couple other thoughts before we close this morning in relation to the reality of God's ability to deliver his own. Even as we see him delivering the Apostle Paul, as the commander gave instruction, they wound up taking him to Caesarea, and there he was going to be waiting, protected by the, by the centurions and all in Caesarea for the Jewish leaders to come and plead their case before uh, before Felix here. 1 Samuel 17, the chapter in which we see David and Goliath. I don't know about you guys, this is one of my favorite stories. You know, it's one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite incidents in Scripture. Sometimes we say, it's oh, one of my favorite Bible stories. You know, and it's almost like there's a ring of it's just a story, not really true. You know what I mean? It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. This really happened. But in that 37th verse of that chapter, David, speaking to Goliath, look at this. Moreover, David said, excuse me, he's speaking to Saul about what's about to happen. Excuse me. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I love that. And see, this is why God 
works in our lives. And as we remember his work in our lives, we can't forget his work in our lives, but it sets a precedent for his future work in our lives as well. As much as he's worked then, I know that he's going to work today and he's going to work tomorrow. Paul writes, he saved me, he delivered me, he he delivers me now, and he will deliver me in the future. He's going to preserve me for his kingdom. And that's what God is doing. He's doing that with each and every one of us. Another wonderful incident, I'll call it, in the scriptures, Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the fiery furnace, right? Do you guys believe that that really happened? You guys believe that they were cast into this furnace that had been heated seven times its normal heat? And even as they opened up the, 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 the door to the furnace to throw them in, the, 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 the guards were, 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 were burned up. They, they were killed. And that they were in that furnace, standing, walking around, and there was a fourth person in there with him who was glowing, really shiny. I can't help but think of the veggie tail. I tell you guys this all the time. The veggie tail, that little guy said, there's somebody else in there and he's really shiny. <laughs> That's what he says. You guys remember that? You guys remember that? Who does not know anything about VeggieTales? Never, I'm not going to ask you to confess that. That's, that, that, that. that's like an abomination. Anyway, it's really fun. Anyway, okay. Daniel 3, 15, second part of verse 15 through 18. This is Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, speaking to these three men whom he was about to cast into the furnace. But he's going to give them another chance. And he said, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? He's thinking of himself as having eternal power, absolute omnipotence. Well, obviously not true. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will not, excuse me, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Who is the God who will deliver you? Well, the answer. Look at verse 18. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And guys, in our hearts, we, we, need to establish, we need to establish that in our hearts as we are addressing the things of this world. The God of this age, Satan himself. We're not going to bow to you. You're not going to get our hearts. We serve the one and true living God. We worship him. We will worship no other. Do what you will. God can save us. I believe he will. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow to you. So kill me now. I'll be with him. Thank you. You know what I mean? I mean, something along that line. Because he cannot bring permanent harm to anyone who belongs 
for the Lord Jesus. He cannot. He can't. And we have to believe that and live our lives as if we truly believe it. Closing with Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Paul writing to the Romans, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What a wonderful truth that is. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Oh, wonderful truth. He's praying for you and me right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It cannot happen. You and I cannot be separated from the love of God. How does that make you feel? That make you feel pretty good? Feels good, doesn't it? Good to know that. You're in his hands. And we need to know in this world we're just passing through. You know, we're just aliens passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we long to, to be. That's where we long to go. That's where our home is. And we all know people, we have loved ones who are there now because they placed their faith in Jesus. He called them home. He's going to be calling you home too sometime. You know, every time something takes place in Israel, like recently did, talk starts happening about, happening about, could this be it? Could this be the Lord drawing people from the north, you know, the armies from the north into, into uh, Israel, and, and then, I mean, the, 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 the rapture happening, and then all that stuff happening, Ezekiel 37, 38, and all that. Is that happening here? And, and I, I would encourage you, we don't know, obviously, if that's the case. I think we always should be praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. But let's be careful that we don't get excited about what could be happening 
when there is horror taking place on the ground in Israel right now? You know what I mean? Pray for them. And if the Lord should use this to accomplish his purposes that we talked about, so be it. But Israel needs our constant prayer. The people of Israel need our prayer. Human beings, Christians, and those who, who Jesus died for who don't know him yet, many of them perished yesterday without him. We need to pray. But you are his. You belong to him. He's got you. And nothing, no created thing can separate you from his love. Everything we see in this world is created. The only thing that has not been created is God himself. He's not going to pull you. He's not going to drive you away. We are safe in him. Amen. And Father, thank you for that knowledge and understanding. And God, we pray that you'd have your way in our hearts. And, and Lord, again, our, our thoughts turn toward Israel. Oh, God, do your work there. The horrible thing to see what's taking place there. We have read that people there are declaring, and I think it's to get our attention as Americans. They're saying, this is our 9-1-1, our 9-11. And we remember that day. Lord, pour out your spirit upon that land. Save and protect and bring healing and wholeness. And most of all, we pray that you heal souls, that you heal hearts that you use these things somehow, Lord, to draw men and women and children to yourself, Lord Jesus. They're Messiah. Do it, God, we pray. And bring a limit to the harm and devastation, the death, the, the, the wounding, and, and all that's taking place, Lord. Limit it, God, we pray. Miraculously step in, God, we pray to save them. So God, have your way. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And thank you that we are yours and have this confidence of knowing that there is nothing in this world that can draw us away from you. Nothing can separate us from your love. So we stand in your love, in your grace and your mercy. Your righteousness placed upon us with the hope of heaven, with a charge from you to share your word, to preach the gospel, to live the gospel before others around us, that they may be drawn to you. Use us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.